0: Welcome to the Best of the Left podcast, with clips today from Tom Hartman, Rachel Maddow, and Democracy Now!,
1: Uh, how do we solve this problem? We, it was referenced in the first hour of the program. Somebody called in and said, yeah, you know, this is all well and good. And uh, Nancy Pelosi is out there saying, hey, 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 we're going to take back the House in 06. But a uh, small problem that you'll find Greg Pallas pointing out, uh, Mark Crispin Miller pointing out, uh, uh, Bev Harris uh, over at BlackBoxVoting.org, VotersUnite.org, Lynn Landis over at Ecotalk.org, uh, Ecotalk.org uh, pointing out, Uh, Some serious problems. What do we do? Lynn Landis is with us. Hey, Lynn, welcome to the program.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Great to have you here with us. Uh, First of all, just give us an update on the status of the 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 voting machine debacle across the United
2: States. Well, thanks to the good works of uh, Bev Harris and Harry Hursty, um, they're they're confirming now that these Diebold machines do have uh, backdoors uh, purposely put in that allows for the unauthorized uh, downloading of uh, software. And, um, and in fact, um, you know, the problems just continue to mount as ES&S isn't even providing, uh, um, ballots for certain, uh, municipalities in, in Texas and across the country.
1: Yes, and s being the company that Chuck Hagel used to be.
2: Right, exactly. And, um, you know, it's interesting because it seems like it's, um, devolving into organized chaos as these elections officials, you know, outsource their, uh, uh, you know, their job uh, responsibilities to um, a couple, really a handful of corporations that are not getting the job done. Uh, you know, of course, you have to question the constitutionality of privatizing uh, an election anyway, but, um, you know, some activists were encouraged when. Um, I think it was something more than perhaps 20 states enacted legislation, passed legislation to require ballot printers on touchscreen machines. But uh, the experience in New Jersey um, with uh, Sequoia, which is uh, I think about the third largest uh, voting machine company, is that um, they continue to drag their feet uh, providing these ballot printers. Now they're saying it will cost $2,000 to put the ballot printers in, and uh, what went Little noticed when the legislature passed um, that uh, legislation was that they gave uh, the attorney general um, a way out. They gave him the authority to just waive that requirement when 2007 or 8 comes along, and um, and there you have it. They had a they had an escape hatch, and there's a there's another company, very very small company called. Accenture, Accenture? no, I'm sorry, Avante. Mm -hmm. And Avante, um, they could provide voting machines with ballot printers right now. And uh, Sequoia, uh, as I have been told, um, wrote letters to all the counties in New Jersey, and the Attorney General. I uh, understand also did something similar, discouraging these counties from um, going with um, Avante. I've also been told that the state of Pennsylvania won't even certify a ballot printer, and um, so whatever people thought were going to be accomplished by these ballot printers it I don't think it's ever going to happen so my um, advice over the past year has been um, evolving initially I was uh, advising that people hold parallel elections outside their polling places but you know that's a that's a labor intensive difficult thing to do um, the the second thing I thought of that would help to um, act as a check against this completely insecure way of voting we're engaging in, would be for candidates, for voters to send to their candidates, the candidates they voted for, particularly in important elections, um, a a card or letter after they voted for them on the day of election, have a card or a letter ready and mail it to the candidates campaign quarters, or headquarters and let them know you voted for them. Because interestingly, um, this has already happened. Uh, last year, there was an election in North Carolina. A voting mach- uh, many voting machines failed. Uh, many votes were lost, and the Republican candidate a- um, gathered 1,400 um, signatures or um, affidavits from voters testifying that they voted for him and on the basis of that the democrat conceded um... because the republican led by about twenty four hundred votes and fourteen hundred is all he needed to prove he would have won anyway Hmm. so so that is a terrific example of um... the need to go public with our votes and the important thing for people to understand is secrecy came into the voting process well after the Civil War, when blacks were voting in large numbers, and I feel very strongly that it was its primary use has been to allow elections officials and others to manipulate election results. And uh, of course, right now the others are the voting machine companies themselves.
1: So you, you would suggest that it was the primarily democratic South in the late 1800s 1892 Grover Cleveland, the first president elected by secret ballot and that that in the 1800 late 1800s after, during reconstruction that when african americans were allowed to vote the the votes were simply changed by the white people who controlled the polls and ballots
2: Well, three things happened to make voting um, uh, a secret, remote process after the Civil War. In the 1870s, absentee uh, voting for soldiers was allowed. In the 1880s, the secret ballot was adopted. And in the 1890s, the first voting machines were used. And actually, 1892 was not only the year Grover Cleveland was elected by secret ballot, it was also the year the U.S. Congress allowed voting machines to be used in federal elections. I don't think all this secrecy is is um, is to protect the voter. I think it's to um, manipulate election results. And when you think of it, why would we hold? ourselves to a lower standard than we hold those we're electing to office. I mean, after all, when we elect our town councilmen, or our state um, legislators, or our congresspeople, they all have to vote in public. We demand that they vote in public so that we can see what they've done. And in many cases, they have friends, families, investments, Occupations that could be affected by their votes.
1: But I think that there's a sense in the United States that there's a few things that are still private. You know, our bank balance, our vote, our uh, you know the details of our sex lives. I mean, you, whatever. There's there's a few things that just you know are, are not to be out there. And 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 uh, the, for example, you have the situation just just in the last week where this guy who was giving out. Uh, contracts on behalf of, of, as I recall, HUD, uh, said to uh, to a contractor who had already gotten a contract, uh, we're going to take this thing away from you because you just spoke ill of President Bush.
2: Yeah, but he could have also, I mean, I, I, I do think that a lot of those contracts, when they're let out, pe- people's uh, voter registration is uh, looked up as well. And we, we all, you know, many of us, I would say, Two thirds of the electorate uh, registers Democrat or Republican, and I think that is used against us. But but you have to balance uh, the the not really knowing if your vote was counted properly against mm. whatever protection you think you may be getting.
1: Why not just do what Canada did? Canada experimented in the election of two thousand with not all of Canada, but parts of parts of Quebec, at, at least that I know of. We lived in Vermont; it was just north of us. Experimented with voting machines. They didn't like it. It didn't work. People didn't trust it. And so they said, that's it. We're going back to paper. And they just used paper there.
2: Well, you know, that, and that's that's an interesting point, but we're, we're not there As at all. As do
1: all the European yeah. nations, by the way.
2: Well, I mean, right know, now,
1: well, why don't we just do what the rest of the world does?
2: Well... You know, I think because my feeling is I question even those results. For instance, in Afghanistan and in Iraq and in other places where they have allowed, uh, they have the hand-counted paper ballots, which I was, and I still do, actively encourage, um, but they, they often will take those ballots to a central counting location where they get counted. They're not often counted locally, and in England, they're expanding, um, by leaps and bounds, the use of absentee votes. Um,
3: so well, they're
1: doing vote by mail, actually. In some right,
2: areas. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, they call yeah. it postal voting. Right. And um, the entire
1: state of Oregon is that way. Though.
2: Yes, and a lot of Washington's going that way. Uh, Oregon is not only um, um, postal voting, but uh, I don't think their voters understand that all those ballots are counted by optical scanners again, controlled yeah. by a handful of corporations.
1: Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right, Lynn Landis. Her website ecotalk.org if you want more information on this and, and of course uh, she's also recommending votersunite.org and blackboxvoting.org but Lynn's website ecotalk.org. Lynn, thanks so much for being with us today.
2: You're very welcome, Tom.
1: Great talking with you. A thought-provoking conversation.
4: week. Democratic Senator from Indiana, Evan Bay, uh joined the growing group of voices, which includes the editorial board of The New York Times, uh, calling on the U.S. of A. to get rid of the Electoral College. What's the Electoral College? It's the thing that means that sometimes uh, we, you don't get to be president even if you win a majority of the popular vote. You have to put together the right combination of states in order to do it. Does the movement to abolish the Electoral College have any hope of succeeding? We are joined on the phone by Stephen Hill. Stephen Hill is the author of Ten Steps to Repair American Democracy, which will be released next month. He's also the director of political reform, uh, the Political Reform Program at the New America Foundation. Stephen Hill, thanks for joining us.
3: My pleasure. Good now, morning.
4: Good morning. Now, um, the Electoral College is one of these things that we all complain about, but nothing ever happens to make it go away. It does seem fundamentally unfair that people vote for president, but in most states in the country, their vote doesn't really count, because everybody knows already how the electors in that state are going to vote, because uh, if you're in the minority party in that state, you'll never get an electoral vote. But the question is, it, everybody complains about it, how come it hasn't gone away so far? Who's in whose interest is it to keep the electoral college?
3: Well, part of the reason why it hasn't gone away is that it's just, it's very difficult to amend the, uh, the U S constitution. You need two thirds vote in both houses of Congress and three quarters of the state legislatures to agree. And the the current uh, layout of states, the red versus blue states, The low population and oftentimes conservative red states are the ones that benefit from this arrangement disproportionately. So they, in effect, have sort of a veto over um, whether or not the country, even though the rest of the country wants to go go forward and change this kind of arrangement, they have a veto over it. So this new effort by the group NationalPopularVote.com um, is actually a quite clever way to get around needing a constitutional amendment it 's what they're going, what they're calling for is the states have the ability to make compacts with each other and um, compacts
4: ask- like treaties like agreements
3: exactly it 's okay. like it 's like a treaty that the states can all make with each other and they 're asking for each state uh, because the Constitution allows the state legislatures actually to decide which state gets the electoral votes most p- voters don't realize they don't even have a constitutional right to vote for president it's the state legislatures that have that right and they decide whether to delegate it to the people hmm. and in fact in florida in 2000 the florida state legislature which was republican dominated was threatening to take away the people's vote if the, uh, the the recount had gone in favor of al gore they were going to basically say sorry we're going to give the electoral votes to george w bush so they're they're asking the these states to agree instead to give their electoral votes to the winner that the candidate that wins the national popular vote
4: so wait till the results of the national popular vote come in ignore uh which state those votes came from and then pledge all the electors in the electoral college from that state regardless of what happened in that individual state just all our electors will go with the popular vote winner
3: that's exactly right and, hmm. and and the way way the math works out from state to state is that if about 20 to 24 states agreed to do this, as opposed to three-fourths of the state legislatures and two-thirds in both houses of Congress, this compact at that point would go into effect because those states would have a, a, the, the 270 minimum electoral votes that you need in order to win a majority of the Electoral College.
4: So That's a very important part of this because I assumed when I started hearing about this of getting all the state legislators to le- legislatures to vote on it that you would need all 50. But really, you just need enough to constitute a majority of the Electoral College and and the rest of them could be left out in the cold.
3: That's exactly right. At that point, it would become a de facto national popular vote because you would have enough states with a a minimum of of a majority of the Electoral College votes that have agreed, and so at that point, it would become a national popular vote. And and so this plan is attracting quite a lot of attention from both Republicans and Democrats, as the effort of abolishing the Electoral College always has attracted attention from both sides of the political aisle, so I think there's a quite, quite a hopeful opportunity here.
4: It does have um, an issue, it does have a, a resonance, I think, of fundamental fairness. The idea that uh, it seems wrong that such a huge proportion of the presidential campaigning happens just in the purple states, just in the swing states, and anybody who's not in a swing state, basically your vote doesn't count. It's weird that everybody in the country was lobbying people in a few counties in Ohio that we all thought were going to be critical and turned out to be critical to the vote. That said, I also I also feel like, you know what, I want the states to continue to have power in our in, in our political system. And the idea that little states, whether they be, you know, red states in the south or blue states in the north, um, I recognize that they would be uh, they would lose some influence if we if we lost the Electoral College.
3: No, I don't think they will. I mean, in, in, fact, in part because they don't have much influence as it is right now. You know, most of these small states are decided to eat for either Democrats or Republicans long before the election, and they don't receive any visits at all. Uh, you know, most states, in fact, don't receive any visits from the presidential candidates, mm-hmm. uh, you know, including small states, including large states like California and New York and Texas, which are already locked up. And so what it happens is that the election comes down to just a handful of voters, voters in a handful of states deciding the election. Uh, and so most voters experience the presidential election as if they're spectators. So I think that what would happen if we had a national direct election for the president, uh, that all states and all voters, no matter where they live, would suddenly be in play again. Even voters in small states, there's no reason why candidates wouldn't visit uh Uh, voters in small states because suddenly their vote would be counting towards something. But right now, states like Wyoming, uh, you know, states like uh, Delaware and what have you, the candidates don't don't spend any time in those small states because they know who's going to win there.
4: You said that this is attracting some attention, uh, Stephen, from, from both sides of the aisle, that there is a bipartisan uh, level of interest in this. I know that uh, it's interesting on the on, uh, on the group that's pushing for this national popular vote campaign. Their advisory committee uh, has both Republicans and Democrats and actually more Republicans on it than Democrats. But I've also seen um, uh, editorials against or at least columns against the idea of getting rid of the Electoral College from people like Phyllis Schlafly, who are denouncing it as a as a liberal plot. How do, the, how do the partisan lines on this fall down, and, and are liberals supporting it more than conservatives?
3: Well, I think that what you see is that um, the, you know, the, the proponents are, are trying very hard to make it a bipartisan effort, which it ought to be and needs to be, in order to garner enough support. Uh, nationwide, but with, you know within that you're, you're uh, generally speaking conservatives tend to be more conservative when it comes to reform and liberal
4: stylistically conservative they just don't they want the status quo
3: exactly and, and and then when you look at the recent presidential history of elections in 2000 and 2004 particularly in 2000 with Al Gore winning the national popular vote by a half a million votes yet you losing the electoral vote because of the two states basically of Florida and Ohio um, that either that tends to make conservatives think oh the status quo is working pretty well for us why should we change things but I think that you know people should really think about the the, 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 the good of the country as a whole and, and when you look at the fact, fact that I mean some of the other things about the Electoral College, it makes the presidential election more susceptible to fraud because with a national Popular vote, uh, going back to that 2000 election, in order for Bush to have beaten Gore, he would have had to change a half a million votes nationwide. But with our electoral college method, he only needed to change 537 votes in mm-hmm. Florida, however, by hook or by crook. That's right. um, and so, when, you know, when you have elections being decided by small margins in just a couple of states, it really, just as they target their campaigns uh, more narrowly, it allows those who want to change the elections by by fraud or whatever means allows them to, ch- to, uh, channel their efforts more more strategically. They can start manipulating things like felony voting lists in Florida and what have you, as, as we've seen in recent elections. So there's lots of reasons, even for conservatives who are concerned about things like fraud in elections and security in elections, for them to to be uh, concerned about the current arrangement and to uh, support efforts to change it.
4: In case you're just joining us, our guest is Stephen Hill. He's the author of 10 Steps to Repair American Democracy, which comes out next month.
3: It's actually also... out this month. Oh, it is? Yes, it is. Uh, Steps. Net is the website for it. Oh, good.
4: It. Sorry about that. No problem. Um, Steven's also the director of the political reform program at the New America Foundation. Did I get that right? You sure did. Good. Stephen, I had one other thing that I wanted to ask you about, and that is um this proposal from House Republicans to eliminate not only bilingual ballots, but eliminate translation assistance at the polls. This is something that's been put forward by Steve King, who's a Republican congressman from from Iowa. I was ignoring it because I thought he was just some wingnut jerk with some racist proposal that I thought was plainly the unconstitutional and nobody would sign on for it. He's got 56 co-sponsors.
3: Well, what's happening right now is a lot of election year posturing, the whole immigration discussion right now. Uh, It's not a coincidence that it's come up during an election year. I mean, basically, you have a Republican administration that doesn't have much of a record to run on. And so the, you know, the Carl Rove's and the other political strategists on the Republican side of the aisle are fishing around for certain issues that they can uh, have their candidates go home to their congressional districts and run on. And so that's a lot of what's going on. I don't expect that that kind of bill is going to make it its way through the House, it's, uh, it's just the type of posturing that we expect to see. And we saw it, you know, 10 years ago, in the mid-1990s as well, when immigration suddenly flared up, there was all sorts of, uh, you know, to-do over it, and then it, the issue kind of went away. And I think that this, this is probably going to follow a similar pattern here. But it's still very alarming that, yes, that 50 members of the House would sign on to such a law. Uh, at the same time, that they're signing on to a law like this, the Republicans are uh, appear to be getting ready to support a renewal of the Voting Rights Act. And the Voting Rights Act recall, uh, calls for uh, language minorities to have certain, uh, certain um, help at the polls and so, what have you. So there's really a conflict going on there, even within the Republican Party, about these sorts of issues.
4: Sure, and it's just so plainly insulting to all of us as Americans that they think that they're going to get votes by saying we're going to undermine the Voting Rights Act. And that's going right. to make you, you want to vote for us. It just, I find that to be such a slap in the face. Stephen Hill, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to talk to you.
3: It's my pleasure.
4: Stephen Hill, his new book is Ten Steps to Repair American Democracy. We've linked to uh, the website for the book at our website, mattoonline.com. Again, that English-only voting act has 56 Republican co-sponsors in the House right now. This idea that in order to be a citizen, you ha- in order to express yourself as a citizen, in order to vote as a citizen, you must speak English. And if you cannot speak English... You cannot be an American citizen. How many generations has your family spoken English? This is just incredible.
1: Silvio Berlusconi either rigged the election using the electronic voting machines because the exit polls showed him losing by three, four, five million votes, and it came down to twenty-five thousand votes. Either his rigging was not quite good enough, or he didn't, but he still didn't win. And in either case, he's pedaling as fast as he can right now to say, well hey, you know, I know that you the other guy, you know, Prodi, Romano Prodi. He says, I know that you won. But let's form a coalition government anyway. You and I we can be co-prime ministers. And he's doing this of course because he got a law passed saying that while his business associates were all going to prison, that the prime minister could not be prosecuted until he left office. And it looks like he's going to leave office. And Prodi is saying, no, sorry Charlie. Now, this brings us to the question of why would it be that the Bushies would go to the trouble of rigging the election in Ohio in 2004, give over 300,000 votes that were stolen, over 300,000 people disenfranchised. We find out now Ken Blackwell ripping, uh, taking people off the, off the ballots, off the rolls, excuse me, not off the ballots, off the uh, voting list, off the voter lists, over 305,000 of them mostly in heavily Democratic areas, some, De- some areas that, that voted as much as 90% Democratic. Blackwell went in and just blew these names out. So these people showed up to vote, and they were told, sorry, uh, we can't find any evidence that you're actually a voter. They were given provisional ballots. There's still over 90,000 provisional ballots that have never been counted in Ohio. Why would Blackwell go to all that trouble? Why would the Republicans go to the, to the risk of hiring guys to slam phone banks in New Hampshire? Why would they go to the risk of using RNC money to hire a private company to set up, you know, little coffee tables, uh, card tables in front of federal buildings and shopping malls and schools all over the country in the months leading up to the November 2004 election to register people to vote? And then if people registered as Democrats, tear up their voter registration and throw it away. Why would they go to the trouble of committing obvious felonies? I mean, this last one that I just described, caught on videotape by numerous sources, including a television station in, in Las Vegas. Why would the Republicans do this? If not for the exact same reason that Silvio Berlusconi apparently tried to ha- hack his own election and is now begging for a coalition government. Why? To keep out of jail. George W. Bush, in my humble opinion, and his cronies in this administration, from Katherine Harris to to Dick Cheney, I mean, right on down the list, are facing the possibility not just of being voted out of office, but of going to prison. I mean, the warrantless surveillance controversy around the NSA, this is a clear violation of law. It calls for the person who, who does it. Which in this case was George W. Bush. I mean, he, he, he has said in public, well, I, I authorize this. It calls for that person to go to prison for two to five years. George W. Bush is facing prison. The invasion of Iraq. This is a war of aggression contrary to the U.N. charter. This is called a crime against peace. It's a war crime. He could go to prison for that. The, violating the Geneva Conventions. He could literally be brought up before a tribunal and put in prison for that. For what they're doing down in Guantanamo. For what they did at Abu Ghraib. Extraordinary rendition. Sending, sending people to other countries to avoid U.S. laws. This is illegal. It, from the from the uh, from the convention, no state party shall expel, return, refowler, or extradite a person to another state where there are substantial grounds for believing that they would be in danger of being subjected to torture. It is plain old flat out against the law. Bush did it. Why rig an election to avoid going to jail?
4: Those are some of the stories making headlines around the country and around the world this morning. But every day here on The Rachel Maddow Show, we do enjoy poking a sharp stick at the soft white underbelly of the right-wing scheme machine, giving you a little peek at their political playbook. Uh, Today's underbelly political tactic uh, is to uh, always make sure that, that if you need to be investigated, if you need to be investigated, you figure out a way to be the investigator. Always investigate yourself. That's today's right-wing political tactic. Today's right-wing political tactician is one of my least favorite men in America, uh, the Ohio Secretary of State. His name is Kenneth Blackwell. Uh, we've been talking for the past week or so here on The Rachel Maddow Show about what a disaster the Ohio election process still is, even this year, even in 2006. What does it take to get American elections out of the banana republic status they're in and into the 21st century? I know that having somebody like Kenneth Blackwell in charge of them isn't going to fix anything after the the lens of attention after the the the, the national uh, microscope under which Ohio's elections were put or at least ought to have been put after two thousand and four in two thousand and six, they're probably even worse. Here's the problem with Kenneth Blackwell. He's the Ohio Secretary of State. That means he's in charge of the state's elections. Kenneth Blackwell, also in charge of the state's elections in 2004, while he was simultaneously chairing the Bush-Cheney re-election campaign. So in charge of running the fair and impartial election and in charge of getting Bush and Cheney re-elected in his state. Kenneth Blackwell was also in charge of Ohio elections in the interim two-year period, 2004, 2005, 2006, when the voting system in Ohio appears to have gotten even worse, if you can wrap your head around that. It took five days to count the vote in Ohio for the primary this year. And in the primary this year in Ohio, about a dozen people voted. So you can imagine how well it's going to go when millions of people turn up in November. Kenneth Blackwell is a Republican candidate for governor. In Ohio, while being in charge of the elections that will decide his fate in that race. Kenneth Blackwell is the man who, while being in charge of Ohio's elections, bought stock in Diebold. The company that he gave the sole source contract to to provide the voting machines for his state's elections. This was the first all electronic vote in Ohio this past time. So with all of this going on, now we're in a situation where it is time for an inquiry. It's, it's, time, it's time for an investigation into what, in, what the Sam Hill, for the second time today, is going wrong with Ohio's elections. How it could possibly be that Ohio elections are more screwed up now than they were in 2004. There needs to be an investigation into whether what's going on in Ohio is just incompetence or whether it is incompetence and corruption. The the Kenneth Blackwell designed, Kenneth Blackwell approved, Kenneth Blackwell implemented, Kenneth Blackwell gubernatorial campaign election machine needs to be investigated. And of course, Kenneth Blackwell thinks that he knows just who can be the impartial arbiter and investigator to ferret out what's really going wrong here, what's really going on here in this system. And the name of that impartial interrogator, that investigator, the person who ought to look into all of this and who won't step aside for any conflict of interest – is, of course, Kenneth Blackwell. He is refusing to step aside, refusing to acknowledge any sort of conflict of interest into being the investigator into his own election system, which he has designed and implemented, which he is benefiting from, and in which he bought stock in the company where he gave the sole source contract, to to which he gave the sole source contract to provide the voting machines in his state. But he sees no reason why he needs to step aside. When there absolutely, positively has to be an investigation, the right-wing political playbook says, when that has to happen, make sure that you are the one who gets to investigate yourself. It is very nice work if you can get it, I'm telling you. In political terms or anywhere, frankly.
1: the scheme to steal 08?
5: Yeah, well, for those who you know, know my background, I came to the U.S. Uh, attention when I broke a story that before the 2000 election, Jeb Bush and Katherine Harris knocked off tens of thousands of black voters off the bo- voter rolls of Florida. And this is what gave the election to George Bush in 2000. It was fixed by knocking off these black voters there's a chapter in the new book.
1: You broke this on
5: BBC? Yes, I broke this on BBC and and, uh, to get in the United States we got Michael Moore to put on a chicken suit and and report it here as a joke and then thank you very much Amy for bringing it across the water and breaking through the electronic Berlin Wall. I mean by the way all these stories are stories developed out of BBC and Guardian that basically are blacked out except for here on Democracy Now. That's very important because these are the stories that they don't want you to have for good reason and they don't want you to have it because I then followed up with 2004 now it's accepted that 2000 pretty much was fixed well there's a chapter carry won. 2004 was fixed and the way it was done is that 3.6 million votes were cast and never counted in the United States that's very important to know this isn't Greg Palast conspiracy nut stuff
1: say the number again
5: 3.6 million ballots cast never counted and that's because they call these spoiled votes or rejected provisional ballots 1.9 million so-called provisional ballots and then most of those don't get counted and so whose votes don't get counted? If it was random, it wouldn't matter. In other words, these are votes where the machine doesn't record it properly, hanging chads, uh, extra marks on a paper ballot, Uh, you had the wrong address on your absentee ballot, etc. Three million ballots. Whose ballots? If you're a black person, the chance your ballot will be technically invalidated is 900% higher than if you're a white voter. Hispanic voter, 500% higher than if you're a white voter. Native Americans, it's like 2,000% higher than if you're a white voter. The overwhelming majority, and I went to the state of New Mexico, which supposedly Bush won by 5,000 votes. 89% of the ballots were cast out of minority precincts that were thrown away. Kerry won New Mexico. You go into the dumpster and and it's black votes, 155,000 black votes that were chucked away in Ohio. Kerry won those votes. He won Ohio. 08. And 08. So what's happening is there is no fix of the system. In other words, just like black folk get bad Uh, schools and bad hospitals. They get the bad voting machines which are going to kill those votes. But they're not satisfied with just letting letting the the ballots be thrown away. They're going to move it along. And one of the things I discovered is the Republican Party has something called caging lists, which came to our, uh, you know, just like uh, you had Friday, um, uh, the way the Yes Men capture material by using false um, websites. So through a false website we were able to capture um, Republican Party internal missives um at, through georgebush.org and uh and so what happened was is that they sent us a bunch of lists of literally tens of thousands of names of voters and addresses we were wondering what the heck this was it turns out these were almost all African American voters who they were prepared to challenge in 2004 and they did uh to say that these people shouldn't vote cuz their adre- addresses are suspect and, in, and you'll see in the book that in the lists of thousands of black voters that they were challenging over their address, were thousands of black soldiers who were sent to Iraq. Go to Baghdad and the Republican Party challenges your vote. And that's the beginning. And because there's been really no action taken, they're accelerating the system now. And, that, and the next thing that they're going after is the Hispanic vote. So when we saw two million votes cast not counted in 2000. Nearly four million votes cast not counted in 2004. You're going to see that number massively increase and in challenges to voters in 2008. And that's what's going back to this database story with the National Security Agency.
1: We have 30 seconds.
5: So you, you have to say, why are they collecting this data? The answer is 2008. It's ultimately all about the elections.
1: Well, this is part one. Greg Palace I want to thank you for being with us. You'll be traveling around the country, and uh, you can go to our website at democracynow.org. We will link to Greg's website, gregpallis.com. Greg Palace book is called Armed Madhouse. Who's Afraid of Osama Wolf? China Floats, Bush Sinks, The Scheme to Steal 08, No Childs Behind, Left, and Other Dispassers from the Front Lines of the Class War.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. Now, have you ever been a uh, a member of, like, you know, a revolutionary movement of some kind, and the whole purpose of your revolution was to, uh, you know, like, promote yourself and, and your, you know, fellow revolutionaries, but then, you know, after you started the revolution, you forgot to actually, you know, talk about it or tell anyone about it? I hate when that happens. Um, the point being that you all need to go to newmediarevolution.org that is the uh it, the 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 address of the site isn't going to change the website will change uh right now what we've got up there is just the list of the current members uh so we've got a, a group of podcasters we're all in it together we're, you know, we're making progress, but it's hard work. We're, uh, right now we're in the midst of, uh, the organizational phase. And so soon we will be, you know, making decisions about where to take the group and what our new website's going to look like and, and what all we're going to do with it. And this is the way I see kind of the hierarchy of, Uh, you know, of the new media revolution phenomenon. And so basically what it is, is, you know, there's, there's going to, there's going to be a few of us who are highly involved with, uh, you know, kind of basically like the steering committee of, of the, uh, of the group. And so, you know, we'll be kind of figuring out what issues we want to deal with and how we want to manage things and then there's a a bigger group and you know a, everyone in that group will be involved with you know kind of taking a vote and you know they're they're the people of the democracy and so they'll be helping us uh make decisions in a uh slightly more passive manner but then there's a third tier to this group and that is what I consider to be you guys and you know, you're a part of this revolution as well, just by listening to me and all of the other shows uh, listed in our directory. And, you know, so especially now at this critical point where we're just getting started, uh, I'd like to really encourage you, you know, if, if you have any, you know, ideas that, or, or you know, just things that, uh, you know advice or or anything like that uh, you know as we're building the website and putting things together uh if, if there's something specific that you'd like us to do that you know maybe we wouldn't think of on our own drop me an email uh it'll it'll definitely be submitted to the uh to the uh the whole group or the committee or or however that's going to work out and you know by this method we're going to end up with all the best ideas we can come up with and we'll use them all you know if uh, if it's a good idea then it doesn't matter where it comes from that's for damn sure so so that's that's kind of the status that's what we're working on and uh you know this can be just kind of a simple way for you to kind of help the cause because I know there are lots and lots of people out there Many of you, I'm sure, are among them who, you know, they they want to do something, but they don't know what to do. Well, here's at least a, a chance. And so what you can do, go to newmediarevolution.org, and then go to bestoftheleftpodcast.com and send me an email, and just let me know what you think. Send me your ideas, and they will get passed along lickety-split. If you want to email me directly, you can do that as well, sympathizer at gmail.com. So, that's it, and have a good one, everybody.
3: This podcast is a member of the Progressive Podcast Network. If you like what you hear, go on over to newmediarevolution.org, where you'll find other like-minded podcasts and soon blogs and vlogs. Progressive Podcast Network at newmediarevolution.org. Variety is the spice of life.